People think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Well, we're back with another week of Kidney Talk. Yes, we are. And we have a really interesting guest today, Charles Rosenberg. And why is he interesting, Lori? Well, he just celebrated his 35th anniversary of a kidney transplant. Can oh, I thought you were going to say 35th anniversary to the same woman. That's not uh, that unusual. <laughs> well, having a kidney is uh, for 35 years, I think, is unusual. And He's had the same many, kidney the for 35 same years? kidney. Holy moly. And it wasn't from a family member? I, or? I think we're going to find out. I think it was from a deceased donor. 35 years. Wow. Um, well, so that would make it, what, 1971 or 1971? I mean, yes. You know, the first transplant ever performed was in 1954 by identical twins, Richard and Ronald Herrick. It was performed? They, yes. They also sang, too. They sang. They sang when they got the transplant. Duet. The first transplant that was performed. How else would you say it? I, I don't know. I, you perform? You perform. I, I mean, the know. surgeon's it's like, performing. It's like, uh, you know, makeup, costumes, action. Okay. Kidney <laughs> transplant. Hey, speaking of kidney transplants, I heard on the news they did a five-way kidney transplant at John Hopkins. I heard about that too. Isn't that fascinating? They had like six six operating rooms and twelve yeah. surgeons and five ten. successful kidney transplants so at one time. Ten people in surgery at one time. I know it's amazing. And it's, doing the whole swap thing. I mean, that's that's uh, what's so exciting about that is it allows people to get better matches. But you know what they said? They said it could be possibly technically illegal. Why did they say that? Because you're not allowed to receive anything in in exchange for uh, right. a, an organ, and you're exchanging one organ for another organ. It was like a oh, swap. Oh, you know, I mean, come on. But it's ridiculous. It I is. Know. It's like they got, they have some lawyer somewhere of trying to figure out something that will make this not work. But I think it's a fascinating way. If if my loved one, you know, wanted to donate me a kidney and. They didn't match, but somebody else wanted to, and, you know, everybody switches. I mean, hey, it No, I've heard of the three-way transplants, yes. but I never heard of the five-way I think it's actually the first one that's ever happened. I know, and I know when Charles, when you're talking about 35 years ago, you know, that was the time when we found out that you were chosen by committee whether you were right. going to live or die. Yes, back that, in the late 60s, early, yes, it was it was a death sentence, and uh, we're going to hear all about it from Charles Rosenberg, because I know he also had a, a, a family member that had kidney disease as well. So I'm sure he lived it firsthand. And when we come back, we'll talk to Charles Rosenberg. And it's a great happy birthday, 35 years for him. Maybe we should play Happy Birthday. Right, by Stevie Wonder. Postman, here you go. Hmm. I won the million-dollar giveaway sweepstakes. Oh, I finally got my tax refund check. Oh, my God. I I can't believe this. I got my order of Dairy Delicious. Oh, boy. Milkshakes, creamy soup, cereal with milk, and pudding. (laughs) Why is Mr. Smith so excited about his Dairy Delicious? 
I have a hint. You see, Mr. Smith is on dialysis, and Dairy Delicious is real milk especially created for kidney patients. It has half the potassium and half the phosphorus of regular 2% milk, but it has 100% of the flavor. Perfect for people who love dairy products and need to keep their lab values normal and dietitians happy. And most of all, it's delicious. Thousands who have tried Dairy Delicious sing its praises. See what I mean? To order your own Dairy Delicious and possibly get as excited as Mr. Smith here, call 1-877-4-DAIRY-7. That's 1-877-432-4797. Or visit DairyDelicious.com. Dairy healthy, dairy good, Dairy Delicious. The milk that's made for you. Welcome, Charles Rosenberg. Is that your real name, Charles? It is, it is. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, happy birthday, or should I say happy P-Day. I always call it happy P-Day, not happy B-Day. Could be happy rebirthday too, right? Uh, yes, exactly. Your rebirthday. So 35 years with a successful kidney transplant. What, what, do, you, what do you think is your secret to success there? Uh, you know, Stephen, I'd like to think that uh, a lot of family support and being generally positive. I mean, there's so many things you can talk about with health and not eating things that aren't right for you, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, it isn't as if there haven't been bumps in the road, but I think that I always tell people just to really, really have a positive attitude. And when you have a positive attitude, it spills over into just about everything you do, whether it's with doctors, whether it's with family, whether it's with your spouse or you're dealing with your day-to-day activities. And and to remember to take your medicine. (laughs) That goes without saying. That was drilled into me at 15 years old. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree about the positive attitude. I mean, it's it's a world of difference. I've just grown by leaps and bounds by just having a positive attitude. Uh, It it seems to be. I mean, there are so many intangibles, as you both know. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, my kidney is from a cadaver. And so I never knew the person. And how old were you when you received the transplant? I was on dialysis. I I kind of remember things in terms of concerts. I'm a very, very, very big rock and roll fan. So back in those days when dinosaurs were roaming and Jimi Hendrix was playing and the Doors and the Who, the week of Woodstock, I was told I had to go on dialysis. And how old were you? How old were you? I was uh, 15. Oh, 15. Wow. And you both should know, uh, I think it's relevant, that this is a familial nephritis that I have. And though it's not 100% sure, basically 99% sure that it's Alport's syndrome. Okay. So genetically transmitted from my mother, my older brother John had it and was one of the first kidney transplant patients up at the Peter Ben Brigham in Boston in 65. Wow, that is early, yes. And he was on dialysis? I was being monitored, and in 68 they were pretty sure I was going to get sick. And I did by by the summer of 69. Went on home dialysis. My mother and I would do this three times a week for five to six hours at a stretch for 26 months. Mm -hmm. And, um... In May of 70, they attempted a transplant that failed, and that was, that was difficult. And then in October of 71, 
October 23rd, they attempted another one, which we've never looked back on, and here I am. Now, is that some sort of a record, uh, Charles, uh, 35 years from... I don't really know. I, I, I'm pretty sure that there are a couple of people that are, that are over 40 years. Yeah, but they may have gotten it from a live donor. Uh, that's true, too. I, I, there are... There's, I think, one sister. You know, again, I don't, I don't keep close track of it. I've never, uh, never really paid much attention to records. It's, uh, well, I think, what's really important when I speak to two people like yourselves, that are, are really getting the word out there and helping people, and that's why, Lori, I connected with you in the first place. That's what's important to me. But 35 years is something to be proud of. Well, if, if anybody's listening and they have a kidney transplant for more than 35 years, email us at <laughs> kidney talk at RSN Hope. We want to know. Dot org. Kidney talk at RSN Hope. org. Exactly. Well, you you've seen so many changes in the kidney community. Um, you know, has your medications changed over um, over the lifespan of your transplant? You know, Lori, uh, that's a great question. Uh, nothing has changed for me. Um, back in the days when, when I went on dial, uh, dialysis and thereafter, prednisone and Imuran mm-hmm. were the two immunosuppressants. And I take 10 milligrams of prednisone every other day, which is remarkably low. Yes, yeah, especially for those days. Back then, I mean, they would... I had my first transplant in... 1978, and I got massive doses of steroids and Imuran. I was on probably 120 milligrams a day or something crazy. Yes, where you would eat anything. <laughs> exactly. But but now, um, aside from blood pressure medication, mm-hmm. I'm still on the same doses that I've been on for well over 20 years. The Imuran has been 100 milligrams daily forever. Prednisone, same, uh, 10 milligrams since probably 78 or something. And I've, I've spoken to my doctors about going off the prednisone just because of the downside with bone density, osteoporosis, uh, infection, and things like that. But they don't want me to. They don't right. think it's worth it. Yeah, 35 years, I guess, you know, if it's working... Um, you know, you may not want to manipulate the steroids. I'm on five milligrams every day. Every day? Every day, yes. Do you take cyclosporin too? I do. Right. You see, I do not. Yes. Um, I take a couple of different transplant meds, and it's, uh, but I did take Imuran for many years, and then they stopped me off of it after about five years after this transplant. So. Um, Good for you. But I still take enough <laughs> medications. It's interesting. Stephen, how about you? What medication do you take? Well, I'm I'm not a transplant person yet. Right, you're, you're still on dialysis? I'm on home dialysis so with the next stage unit, so I do dialysis six times a week at home. Wow. I want to know what it was like growing up, you know, at, at a 15-year-old on dialysis. How did that affect your life? It was hard. That's, that, again, is uh, a question I appreciate your asking, because most people, um, it's difficult to understand, I think, uh, even if you have children, what they what you're going through. A lot of my friends were at arm's distance because they didn't understand it. So you're alone a lot. And after a year of dialysis, the dialysis wasn't helping me a lot. I had a lot of problems and was in the hospital a tremendous amount of time. So therefore, my appreciation for every day and getting out there, and as you know, the conversation may lead to this legislation, it's important to live your life 
uh, even even as a, as a dialysis patient, I'll tell you both something. When I was a sophomore in high school, I weighed 58 pounds. <laughs> 58 I, pounds. I can relate to that. I was really sick. When yes. I was in high school, that's what I had for lunch. <laughs> I was 320 pounds in high school. Well, well, that movie, the famous movie we all know. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Well, well you know, I think, Charles, you're, you're going to have to come out to the renal team prom and relive your teenage years. You know what, Lori? I, it's an absolute priority. When that timing is right... I just can't wait. I think that is the greatest thing you do. Yeah. Well, I, you know, the reason is is because I spent all my teenage years on dialysis as well. And, you know, they always told me that I belonged. Uh, I need to go to the school across the street because I look so young. And, uh, you know, I didn't ever fit in. So that's why I created this renal team prom. But, you know, when we come back, we need to take a break. Uh, we want to hear about this important legislation that you've brought to the state of New York and hear about how you made it happen. And so, so are you, are you, before we go, you're an old rocker, huh? Yeah, I am. I'm, it's coincidentally, I just went to my basement. I will get, you two need to email me your addresses. I did a poster that I had on QVC. So all of my memorabilia that I kept as a hobby, and I've had work in the Hard Rock Cafe and made jackets and all sorts of things with memorabilia, um, Beatles from Shea Stadium, all of my Hendrix, who, Doors, Zeppelin, are on this poster. You'll love it. Oh, what's, your, wow. what's your number one favorite rock song? Well, I think that the Who were probably the best band I ever saw live. Ever since I was a young boy, I've played the silver ball. From Soho down to Brighton, I must have played them all. But I ain't seen nothing like him in any amusement hall. That depth on the kid sure plays a mean pinball. And now it's time to ask the nephrologist. Have there been improvements in the fistula placement area that would enable a surgeon now to reverse a failed fistula? And here's Dr. Alan Nissenson with the answer. It's worth uh, first just reviewing the different kinds of blood access for hemodialysis patients. There are really three forms of access. One is the fistula, which is a connection between a patient's own artery and vein. And then these blood vessels, the patient's own blood vessels, are used to get the blood in and out of the dialysis machine. There's something called a graft arteriovenous access. A graft, as the name implies, is an artificial blood vessel that's implanted by a surgeon, connects the patient's own artery and vein, but it's an artificial piece of material. And the third form of access is called a catheter. That's the one form of access. It's a plastic tube that's inserted through the skin and sticks out through the skin, goes into a major blood vessel in the body. Now, I mentioned these in the order I did for a reason. Fistulas, using a patient's own blood vessels, are by far the best form of access. They last the longest, they clog up the least frequently, and they get the fewest numbers of infections. So they, by far, are the most desirable form of access. And in fact, in some countries, Italy's a good example, almost 90% of patients on hemodialysis have fistulas. Unfortunately, in this country, for a variety of reasons, uh, and some of which have to do with, with the training and skill of the surgeons, the vascular surgeons, only about 40% of patients in the United States have fistulas, the most desirable form of access. So what we've been learning over the past several years is that one of the ways of getting more fistulas placed and getting fistulas that are not placed well to function well is to work with surgeons because ultimately the surgeons have to understand that fistulas are important. 
they have to know how to put them in. And if occasionally they don't work, they have to know how to fix them. And what we've learned is that almost all patients can get fistulas if surgeons are adequately trained to do the appropriate surgical procedures. In addition, if a fistula fails, in the past what we would say is, well, that was a good try, we tried a fistula, now we move to the next thing, which is usually a graft or sometimes a catheter. But what we've learned is that failed fistulas can be fixed. We didn't think they could, but now we've learned they can be, uh, either through surgical techniques or through the introduction of anticoagulants to break up blood clots. So the message to patients is to work with your nephrologist, make sure that they're on board with everyone should have a fistula. And even if you don't have a fistula now, if whatever access you have fails, make sure the nephrologist knows that you can still have a fistula. Fistula isn't something you can only have right at the beginning and then never again. Fistulas are always possible, and the nephrologist really needs to work with you and work with the surgeons to make sure that that's the highest priority. The Ask the Nephrologist segment of this program is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition. The Renal Support Network and the Renal Physicians Association make no representations or warranties and provide no guarantees of any kind as to the accuracy of any information provided during the Ask the Nephrologist segment. Hello? Hi, Mom. Boy, that was some storm last night, huh? We actually lost power for a few minutes. Oh, you think that was bad? You should have seen the one back in 52. Well, now that you're on dialysis, you should really have a plan in case of an emergency. Ha! Last emergency I had was when you got your head stuck in the hamster cage. Scared the little fella to death. Those big eyes just staring at him. I'm talking about emergencies, like severe weather, earthquakes, or power outages. What if there was no water or transportation to get you to dialysis? It's important to be prepared. You mean like carrying important medical information? Or asking your facility for alternative arrangements for treatment? Or preparing emergency stock of supplies, foods, and medicines? Or learning what diet to follow if your dialysis must be delayed? You already knew all this? I've got to run, Sonny. I'm late for taekwondo. Bye, Mom. Well, Charles, tell us about this important legislation that you had passed in the state of New York. Uh, Lori, a number of years ago, I was helping an organization here. I, I do keep my own life private, and I've raised money on my, uh, on my 30th anniversary. I decided to let a lot of people know what I'd been through. And because my older brother passed away in 79, there's a fund in his name, um, so I raised a bunch of money climbing Mount Hood doing uh, just for the fund, for the medical school. And I keep in touch with the community, and this one organization goes into high schools and discusses organ donation. They don't pitch it. They only discuss it. They don't try to get any of the, the students to sign up or anything. They just discuss it. So I was part of that, and I thought it was extremely worthwhile, even if you're affecting just one one person's life that way and they sign a donor card and I've been up to Albany to lobby and uh, when they see me walk in it's pretty good proof that this is a this is a worthwhile endeavor I uh, I met the the assemblyman George Latimer at a uh, seminar on the American Revolution since I'm a teacher and we hit it off mm-hmm. and ultimately after having a number of breakfasts with George he asked me what he could do for me 
And I said, you know, I think that the educational sector is really an area that needs to be addressed and that the learning curve is so steep and it's such a delicate emotional, emotionally charged issue. When people, when you ask somebody when a beloved one has passed away, especially a younger person, maybe we have the organs. So I was discussing this with George, and I said, I happen to think that college campuses would be a great place to place literature. Because by then, you know, the children today grow up with this on their landscape. Mm-hmm. They're much more comfortable with organ donation. The Internet makes information much more readily available than even 10 years ago. So with that in mind, I said, why don't we try to get some sort of legislation passed? And he said, why don't you do the due diligence on it, which I did, and we modeled a bill on something that had passed in New Jersey. Okay. And what does this bill do exactly? Exactly what it, what it does is it mandates the state of New York to make available on all public and private college campuses across the state, this information. The education information about organ donation? Yes. That's a great idea because when you find out when somebody has died, you don't want to go to their loved ones right then and there and say, you know, can we have the organ? And if people are educated in college and they fill out an organ donation card, then that subject doesn't have to be broached at the inappropriate time. Exactly, Stephen. And they're they're probably a little bit more open about it, too, because if they're having a discussion about it when they're young, they think that that's something that'll happen when they're much older. So they probably have an easier time, you know, talking about it. That was my line of thinking, Lori. I felt that you approach them, they know about it when they're younger. And, and, you know, I I can really take heart in the fact, knowing that George Latimer, the assemblyman, was so thrilled. This thing passed unanimously. It took one year to get it done, not years. You know all the red tape and the bureaucratic nonsense. Right. It goes on. He's, he's talked great length about how hard it is to get anything done. This went straight through. The governor signed it into law. It is a bill as of August 16th. Oh, that's wonderful. That is fantastic. Now, do you talk about uh, organ donations to your class? I do not, no. I would never breathe. They don't know anything about me. Because they're too young, right? Yes. And I don't, even even if I had a class, I don't think it's appropriate. Um, I've seen that. You wield a lot of power in the class. Where do you teach classes at? I teach classes, I teach everything. Math, spelling, literature, writing, and social studies. Okay. For what grade? Fifth. Fifth grade. Okay. Wow, that's a lot of energy there. Oh, it's the best. And you the best they never knew what hit them with me they I you know I have when I talk about you should know living life I've been to Antarctica twice I've been down to the Galapagos I've chartered a helicopter for an eclipse you have to live I, I believe it wholeheartedly and you said you, you climbed Mount the Hood yes so you're pretty athletic then uh, I am I am that was difficult and since you both should know the great equalizer our health I've had five torn rotator cuff operations and that's because of the prednisone yes i had no prednisone in 1999 i got a back infection a staph infection that almost had its way with me i was home for a year oh Oh my goodness i was as bad as it gets that that was horrendous i had to have a six-hour operation on and on and on how did that happen um i don't know it could have been a simple paper cut but it almost 
beyond agony. I thought I knew something about pain until I got that. Oh. I had bilateral uh, hip replacement two years ago. We have the, we have something in common. I, bi- I had bilateral knees two years ago. Wow. And you're doing fine? <laughs> I am. I can, I can uh, kick up my heels now. That's amazing. So, you know, I play golf. I get to do some traveling that I want, but it's very fulfilling, you know, knowing I can be productive with the kids, and Jan's healthy. Very seriously, having conversations like this with you two. And Jan, you're, how long have you been married to Jan? I got married to Jan in 90. Okay. And she's a paralegal in the city. And you, or I'll get her to the West Coast to see you guys. Okay, and you live right out of Manhattan, correct? Uh, she's She works in Manhattan. Um, we live, yeah, about 25 miles north of it. Okay. Right right near the water in Port Chester. Well, I'll have to come visit because I love um, theater in New York. Just take me to the theater. Every weekend I could go to the theater if I had the opportunity. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Charles. What a great inspirational story. 35 years as a successful kidney transplant. I'm waiting for mine, you know, Charles. I know, Stephen. You have to let me know. Uh, just, you know, I know you're an upbeat person. I can sense it. I can hear it, the character. And, you know... It just, it's a numbers game. And if I learned anything when I was 15, is I had total faith in the people around me, and I put the blinders on. And there, in negativity, just I wasn't going to allow it to creep in. And believe me, I was on the ropes many times. Right. If, yeah. Many, many times. 1971 was not a pleasant experience with dialysis. Yeah, you know, you know, Lori wrote a book about being chronically happy with a chronic disease. You know, I've had so many people tell me, I just think there's so many books out there. It would be a matter of just getting my voice and doing it. Maybe that day will come. It is inspirational. Uh, people just need to know out there that as long as they're positive, as long as they've got a good support network, and as long as there's a semblance of quality of life. That's what we're talking about here. They're doing remarkable things. And I am more, more than happy to assist in any way that I can. Well, thank you so much, Charles, and, and we hope you uh, have another 35 years with the same kidney. Thank you both so much, and my very, very best to you. Dr. Mr. Shelton's in room three. Thank you. Mr. Shelton. Mr. Shelton! Ah, yes, doctor. What seems to be the problem today? Um, I'm having a problem not being able to sleep. Really? I also find it difficult to breathe. Can we open a window or turn on a fan or something? Certainly. Uh, let me ask you, do you feel depressed? No, I, I don't think so. But, but I do think my life is worthless, and I don't enjoy things I used to. And I feel like the whole world may blow up. But other than that, not really. That's weird. I, I also have a problem concentrating. Like the other day, do you know how they get those model ships in those bottles? Actually, I will have a cheeseburger. Of course I can do the Macarena. Oh, see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do. Mr. Shelton? M- miss, Mr. Shelton! Uh, yes, doctor. You obviously have low energy. That's amazing. How did you know? Mr. Shelton, I believe you're anemic. Actually, I'm half Irish, but my dad knows someone in Armenia. No, our, our anemic. We'll give you a simple blood test and we'll run your hematocrit. It needs to be at least 33%. 
We'll have you back to normal in no time. Some of the medications we can give you while you're doing your dialysis. Managing anemia results in a more active, happier, better quality of life, and studies show you may even live longer. Mr. Shelton? Mr. Shelton! Nurse, patient removal, room three. Yes, doctor. Remarkable. There's got to be some kind of record. Thirty-five years. I, I can't even believe it. Because I mean, don't they say that the average kidney life of a cadaver is like ten years? You know, the the word that's key there is average. He's obviously exceptional, and you know, I think everything's getting better nowadays. I mean, look at the transplant list. Over seventy-five thousand people are waiting for a kidney transplant. Um, that's because they work. Uh, I'll be celebrating 17 years soon. 17 years, Isn't wow. that amazing? And they just fly by. I mean, as you know, as you know, Stephen, as the older you get, the time flies by faster. Yeah, but you know what? It seems like molasses waiting for a kidney now. I can imagine. Um, I remember when I had my second transplant and it didn't work, and I was put back on the waiting list, but they told me I would never receive a third transplant. They didn't think I would. That must have been very and, depressing. And I waited seven years. Seven years for that third and transplant. And did you ever think you'd get the transplant? Well, I actually gave up that I wouldn't get one. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I'm going to live my life on dialysis. That's just the way it is. And it was a surprise when I got a call for the transplant. That mm-hmm. was so weird. You know, like when you're dating or something like that, and you're right. out there looking for Mr. Right, and then as soon as you quit looking, it shows up. <laughs> that's <laughs> Mr. right. Mr. Kidney showed up. Right, exactly. And, uh, you know, I think that's how you have to approach life, because if you give something so much power that, you know, I'm not going to be happy unless I have that kidney, then I think that that's, that's setting yourself up for failure. Because I used to think before I received my second transplant, I thought, oh, my life's going to be on track when I get my second transplant. And as we all know, my second transplant didn't work. How long did it last? Oh, it, it didn't work at all. My first or second transplant didn't work at all. I mean, my first one never worked. The second one worked a couple of weeks. Oh, I see. So, um, you know, it changed my thought process about about how I had to approach, you know, kidney disease and how I had to think about it and saying, wow, you know, if I'm never going to get a transplant, and I was 18 years old when this realization hit me, you know, I'm going to learn how to live my life anyways. Right, so you didn't let it I didn't. I didn't let it, well, you know, at times I got depressed, you know, I mean, oh my you, God, yeah, I, I had I to. I have pity parties yeah, myself. Yeah, I have pity parties. I mean, I'd be so darn upset that, oh my God, I was on the cycler at the time, a peritoneal dialysis cycler, and you know, I'd have to go home and put, you know, set up this machine and you know, other people would be, you know, oh, sitting around the pool. Because I lived in this, this apartment complex. It was kind of like a Melrose place. And I would have to go into my apartment and do dialysis. And, you know, I would get frustrated because I, I would look out the pool and I'd see all these nice, tan, beautiful L.A. people, no catheters, no scars. And, and I think, why can't I be like that? So you would have a pity party, too. Well, you know, and I, I just really believe that, you know, adversity had introduced me to who I was. And I always felt a deeper purpose in my life. And I thought, you know what? I'm, I had to believe this is that. You know, this has happened to me for a reason. And what I learned today 
I can apply on kidney talk someday. This is true. You <laughs> this know, is what I was speaking thinking. Speaking <laughs> of, of pity parties, you know, the one thing that I used to do is I used to throw myself surprise pity parties. Surprise pity parties. We'd invite guests over and everything. You know, and then go, what did surprise. you exactly do? We did just, you like, we go just, surprise and we all just start crying. Just start crying yeah, and sit absolutely. there and watch sad movies. But you would, say, you would say your quality of life is much better with a transplant than it was on dialysis. Well, you know, it is because I don't have to do dialysis. But I have to tell you, I did everything. Um, when I was on dialysis. I rock climbed, I camped. Um, and I think it was this attitude that Charles talked about is that, and, and I think I had an advantage because I grew up as a child, so I didn't know a lot. I, I didn't know the difference. Right, I guess you know? you're right. If you didn't know the difference, this was just part of everyday life. You know, at, at one time, I remember watching a commercial on TV, and this this woman was, like, playing with a volleyball, and she was, you know, reaching up, and she had this two-piece bathing suit on. And for a split second, I thought, where's her PD catheter? Yeah. <laughs> and and, um, and then I, I think it was time for me to get a transplant. <laughs> right. It's like when you go rock climbing, you don't see a guy with a uh, you know dialysis machine hanging off of him either. Right. Exactly. So, so it is. Uh, I had to approach it that I was um, very grateful that dialysis was there to keep me alive. Um and, you know, that's the benefit we have having our kidneys failed as opposed to other organs. Well, I am so glad that you had dialysis to keep you alive because it'd be really difficult to do kidney talk with just me. You know, I'd be talking and arguing back and forth to myself. Exactly. Well, which, you, you know, that might be another show. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. Renal Support Network would like to thank everyone who has made this show possible. Kidney Talk's founding sponsor is Amgen. Generous support is provided by Roche Pharmaceuticals and Astellas. Friends of Kidney Talk are Abbott Laboratories, American Region, and Fresenius Medical Care North America. Thank you for helping us stream health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. Visit rsnhope.org for more information. The opinions, recommendations, statements, and advice contained on Kidney Talk are for information only. You should not use the information on the show to diagnose or treat a health problem or disease without first consulting with a qualified health care provider. Please consult with your health care provider about any questions or concerns you may have regarding your condition or dietary regimen.